My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for a pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. The shepherds hastened to Bethlehem where they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The Lord, as we begin to pray on this feast of the Holy Family, we ask your help to pray. How suitable it is that having recently welcomed our Lord, we now celebrate the feast of his family, of the Holy Family. In the case of the family of the, that is Opus Dei, we're helped to celebrate this feast by the renewal of the consecration to the Holy Family of all the families of people of the Opus Dei, which St. Josemaria made for the first time in 1951. It was carried out in the as yet uncompleted oratory of the Holy Family, which is in Villa Tevere uh, in Rome. And naturally, for some of us, our thoughts go very easily to that oratory of the Holy Family. And in that way, we can unite ourselves with the, that prayer of St. Josemaria and with the prayer of the present prelate of the work, Don Fernando Ocaris. Probably, or maybe, in that same oratory, that Don Fernando will renew the consecration to the, of the families of all in the work uh, today. And through that prayer, we can be united with all in the work. And it enables us to pray for all the families of everyone in the work and indeed families of cooperators. And indeed, it, through the celebration of the feast, we're united with the whole church on this important ecclesial feast. Turning to the Gospel for today's feast, it comes from the, the scene we're told about uh, is that of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. And that occasion, the presentation of our Lord in the temple, must have been a very joyful occasion for the Holy Family. And while there, Mary and Joseph meet with two holy people, Simeon and Anna. St. Luke describes Simeon as being an upright and devout man, looking forward to Israel's comforting, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. And about Anna, he tells us that she was well on in years, that she'd been married for seven years before becoming a widow, that she was now 84 years old, a good age, and never left the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayer. And she too looked forward to deliverance of Jerusalem. So these two were very faithful Israelites. They were longing for the coming of the Messiah, and now they rejoice greatly seeing our Jesus, meeting with Mary and Joseph, 
as they carry our Lord uh, to the temple. And what a blessing for the Holy Family that was. Often when we've reason for joy, that joy is augmented when others sincerely participate in our joy and share our joy with us. And that's what Simeon and Ada did with Mary and Joseph. They would have added to the joy of the occasion, the joy of Mary and Joseph. It was a delight for them to present our Lord in the temple. And in sharing their joy, Simeon blessed them and prophesied, saying to Mary, You see this child? He is destined for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel, destined to be a sign that is rejected, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, so that the secret thoughts of many may be laid bare. Did this prophecy dint Mary's joy? Well, I think not, because Simeon also prayed, praising God, that God had now let his servant could now let his servant go in peace because his eyes had seen the salvation which had been prepared for all the nations to see, a light to enlighten the pagans and the glory of her people Israel. So really what predominated in Simeon's words was joy, praise of God. But at the same time, Simeon's words must have stayed with Mary and no doubt she, she pondered them and treasure them just as she had done with the words of the shepherds when they had come to visit at our Lord's birth. And now the same would happen. She surely contemplated those words, pondered those words, wondering at their full application, perhaps having some understanding already. And through that providential encounter, God was preparing Mary and Joseph for what lay ahead. Just as years later, Jesus did all he could to prepare the apostles for the mystery of the cross, so now providence does the same for Mary and Joseph. And thinking of that, how providence was preparing Mary and Joseph, it's a reminder how God, if he asks something of someone, he'll always <coughs> give excuse me, the backup graces needed to carry out the task well. So that's a reason for us to have great trust in God. And in the case of the Holy Family, it would not be long after that when they'd have to flee to Egypt. They, they had to leave the city of David, of Bethlehem, which for them would always have been greatly beloved. It was the city of David's of King David and Joseph of course was of David's line and lineage and it was above all uh, Bethlehem was the place of the joy of the birth of our Lord and so already they meet with the cross and then years later after the return from Egypt to the Holy Land in fact 12 years later an event takes place that once again would bring to mind Simeon's words to Mary about a sword piercing her heart. And of course that event was Jesus, the 12-year-old Jesus, being lost for three days and later found in the temple. 
And that mysterious event must have been a time of great suffering for the Holy Family. It's hard for us really to imagine how much Mary and Joseph suffered. Up to then, Jesus had always been with them. It seemed nothing out of the ordinary had happened. At least Mary gives us no account. Joseph passes on no account. But now, on this occasion, the Holy Family suffer, uh, and perhaps with Joseph suffering in a unique way, because uh, one of his principal tasks was to be a protector of the Holy Family. And now, Jesus was gone. Jesus was lost at the tender age of 12. We get a little bit of an indication of that suffering from what Mary said when they finally found Jesus in the temple on the third day. And Mary said to him, My child, why have you done this to us? See how worried your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus replied, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be busy with my father's affairs? But they did not understand what he meant. Well, certainly, this was a time of suffering for Joseph, for Mary. It is a, a mysterious event in many ways, but at the same time, it points to the mystery of the cross. The very three days point to our Lord's passion, death and resurrection. Perhaps this was an anticipated experience of the, the passion, death and resurrection in a certain sense for Joseph because he would be, it would seem, deceased by the time of our Lord's passion and death. But thinking of those words, my child, why have you done this to us? Well, they're words that many a father or mother would say in a similar circumstance to a child who got lost even just for a few hours. And so for us, these events are very helpful because they shatter any idea that we might have had that the life of the Holy Family was exempt from suffering or that it was exempt from having to face difficulties and trials or upsets. Rather, it emphasizes the opposite, and that is that the life of the Holy Family was life as we know it, with, as it is for all human beings, involving good moments and moments of ease, and then other moments of challenge and of suffering. But of course, the times of peace and joy of that family would have been very great too. We think of their joy at the birth of our Lord, when they heard about the angels singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to all of goodwill. And probably for the shepherds that moment was a bit like the transfiguration was for the apostles. But Mary and Joseph must have experienced similar, much greater joy at that time. And of course, to have our Lord with them was a constant joy. But now, how different were those three days when, when Jesus was lost? Well, all this helps us to realize that the Holy Family of Nazareth and Bethlehem are very good intercessors for us because they know life. These events assure us that God is with us in the good moments and in the more difficult ones. 
They show us that there's nothing that we will ever experience that they didn't experience in some way, or some analogous way. Thinking about this mysterious event of our Lord being lost for those three days, we don't know whether it was by accident or design that Jesus got left, uh, was left behind in Jerusalem. I tend to think it was an accident. Certainly for Mary and Joseph, it was pure purely accidental that they left without him. But how easy it is for a child to get lost in a crowd. And in my case, it always brings to mind the after Christmas sales and times gone by here in Dublin. When I was young, the Cleary sale would be especially crowded events, especially popular event. My abiding memory of being with my family is that of announcements being made about children being lost? Could they please contact the, the, a certain desk? And in fact, on one occasion, I was that lost child. All that was needed was to wander for a few moments and suddenly you were lost. You were by yourself. And the more I tried to find my way back, the more I, I got a bit lost I became. I don't remember being unduly worried. Maybe my memory placed me false. I knew my parents would find me, ultimately. And allowing for all due distinctions, I imagine something similar happened to Jesus. And he was so happy to be in the temple. Perhaps he didn't notice time passing. So I have great sympathy for Jesus being lost in the temple of Jerusalem, especially as that Passover time of that festival would have been a time of great crowds. And of course, the temple precincts are enormous, were enormous. So in every family, there will be times of joy and times of sorrow. Certainly the history of Opus Day as a family in the church is a history with joys and sorrows too. In the case of the family of the work, the year 1951, which was the year when the consecration of families of members of Opus Dei was first made, it was a particularly difficult one for St. Maria and for Opus Dei. The reason for it being a difficult year was that some members of Opus Dei experienced serious suffering due to people upsetting their parents by telling them that their sons were on a very bad path if they'd asked to join Opus Dei, that they, in some cases, that they'd be damned if they got involved with Opus Dei. And a complicating factor was that some families did not understand the vocation of their son or daughter. In one case, it had a very happy outcome, and quite quickly. That was the case, it was early on, it was the case of a young student named Juan Larea. He was a, a South American student studying in Rome and in April 1949, he asked for admission to Opus Dei. But his family was not pleased. And especially his dad, who was uh, Ecuador's ambassador to the Holy See. And his father decided that he would take this matter up with the Vatican. And he told his son that he was going to talk to, meet with the, the Vatican's under Secretary of State, who was a Monsignor Montini, which was to take the matter up at a very high level. 
So naturally, Juan perhaps must have been perplexed by this, but maybe encouraged by Saint Thomas Maria or by Blessed Alvaro, he himself went first to speak with Monsignor Montaigne. And he had a long and very friendly conversation with Monsignor Montini. And Monsignor Montini said to him, I'll have a message for your father that'll put him at peace. So it was a good meeting. And then some days later, Monsignor Montini received Juan's dad and he told him that he'd spoken about the matter with Pope Pius XII, who had re relayed a message to be passed on to Juan Larea's father, which was tell the ambassador that his son could not be in a better place than Opus Dei. Well, what great confidence Pope Pius XII showed in Opus Dei at that time. Lord, we thank you for that. What a lovely blessing. What a great confidence. And then years <coughs> later, Juan Larea was ordained a priest, and then later again he was ordained bishop, auxiliary bishop of Quito. And that led him to meet Monsignor Montini, who is now Pope Paul VI. And Pope Paul VI remembered the meeting 20 years before and reminded him about that audience. And, and thank God, Pope Paul VI too showed great confidence in Opus Dei as well. But Lord, we thank you for that. And indeed, Juan Larea would later become Archbishop of Guadalajara. But in spite of the happy outcome in that case, rumours conti <coughs> still continued to spread to families of young people who asked to join Opus Dei that by doing so they might be damned. And, and this naturally was very upsetting for the families, very upsetting for St. Josemaria, a matter of deep concern. And as so often happened, his main and primary response to that difficulty and to all difficulties was to turn to prayer. And that's what prompted him to consecrate the families of all in the work to the Holy Family, doing so on the 14th of May, 1951. And he did so in this oratory, future oratory of the Holy Family. And he indicated that the consecration should be renewed on East Feast of the Holy Family each year. Well, that should be our first response to all family needs, to turn to prayer. As Don Fernando, the present prelate, has often encouraged us, we have to pray, and even if we don't seem to get a, a response, we have to pray, pray, pray. God always listens. And he especially listens to family needs. It's not uncommon to find that in families there are always needs, financial needs, work concerns, serious health problems, maybe members of the family not practicing their faith. And uh, often perhaps we pray for these issues. We mightn't see a response immediately, but God is very pleased that we keep pestering him for these family needs. And the renewal of the consecration to the Holy Family of families of members of Opus Dei is a great help to do that. Through the consecration, we ask that Jesus, Mary and Joseph take our families under their protection and care. And we ask them to fashion them in the likeness of the divine model of the Holy Family. Well, there can be hardly any better way for us to pray for them. And the consecration 
includes a petition for the, their material needs of our families. This is something entrusted to St. Joseph. A lot of material needs fell on St. Joseph's shoulders at that time. We ask him for, especially for the material needs of families. And also through the consecration, we pray that the families of members of the work will come to know better day by day the spirit of the work, which, thank God, now is very well known and normally very much loved by families. And when we look to the gospel, we realize that prayer of family for family must be very pleasing to God. At least so many of the miracles of the gospel are the result of one family member interceding before our Lord for another, be it a father or a mother, generally. And, well, the renewal of the consecration can help us to put our request to the Holy Family with renewed insistence. And our Lord is very happy that we'd go to him like that, that we pester him. He likes to be pushed a little bit before granting his favours, his grace. And in the case of members of the work, it's very appropriate that we pray especially for our parents, uh, as the consecration reminds us, because it was through them, uh, as, we're, as we read, that God deigned to call us through life, which is a very great gift. It's a way of giving thanks for that gift by praying for our family, parents. And not only that, but we owe our vocation in large part to our families, especially to our parents. Even if in some cases there were difficulties along the way. St. Josemaria often said that 90% of the vocation of members of work comes from because of, through their fam parents and from their families. And it comes from the life of faith that our families introduced us to, especially our parents, the good example they gave us. And even if faith was weak in the family, their other virtues perhaps were very strong and all that prepared us to say yes to God's call. And what will make that prayer for our families really effective is our own faithfulness to our vocational calling. If God has already called our parents to their reward, well, perhaps one of their great credentials before God, no doubt, will be that they'll be able to point to a son or daughter and say, uh, and looking at them, they'll be able to say, well, they're trying to love you wholeheartedly. They want, they're trying to say yes to you. Bear that in mind when you judge me. And, and certainly our Lord will do that. So thinking of the needs of our families can be a spur to be faithful to our interior life. And of course, it's the best help we can give to, to children, to relations. Ultimately, if we're saying yes to God day by day, ultimately that transcends. But even before composing the consecration, St. Rosemary had always great devotion to Holy Family, among other reasons because of the example the Holy Family gives us of holiness lived out in ordinary daily life. In fact, he sometimes used to say of the Holy Family, of Bethlehem, of Nazareth, that there all is Opus Dei. 
In other words, what he meant by that was that the life of the Holy Family is a great example of the holiness God calls each of us to. And of course, it is very striking, as we read in the Consecration, how our Lord chose to spend the greater part of his life subject to Mary and Joseph in the humble home of Nazareth. The greater part of his life was spent in Nazareth, in family life, in a family context. Time-wise, therefore, from a human point of view, the greater part of the work of redemption was carried out by sanctifying home life, family life. Lord, that says a lot to us. If all our Lord's life is redemptive, which it is, then what he spent most of his time doing is of special value, special importance. We can never really contemplate that enough. Lord, remind me of those hidden years, those long years, uh, ordinary years filled with joys and sorrows and likewise we'll find that a significant amount of our time is spent in family life too how natural it is that that would remind us too that an important part of our holiness lies in our family life <coughs> it's natural that we would bring family matters to to prayer when we pray so often it'll be to pray for our families our immediate families our extended families to chat out concerns with mary and joseph with our lord and one of the truths that perhaps often will come to mind when we pray about our family <coughs> especially when we have the holy family in mind is how important our acts of service are in favour of the others the others at home St. Josemaria once preached that in Bethlehem no one thinks of himself or herself or of his time or her time or his honour or her honour but rather of the others well, that was a way simply of emphasising that family is about giving to others. Some time ago, I read about an interview with an Irish singer-songwriter, Glenn Hansard. It was fairly well known, especially because of that film Once. And he had some other uh, well-known uh, great hits. But apparently some time ago, a couple of years ago, he became a dad for the first time at the age of 52. And he was very, he was very happy. And an interview, interviewer asked him, did the birth of the child change him, change things for him? And he said, yes, it did. And apart from saying that it was the greatest thing he'd ever done, he went on to say that now for the first time he realized that he himself was not the most important person in his life. That he was not the most important person in his life, he himself. He was more or less admitting that he'd been a very selfish person, self-centered, focused on self. Well, what a good insight he had into himself. And it's an insight, a truth which our Lord highlights by, by coming among us at least he highlights the positive side of it. Our Lord comes to serve, not to be served. He doesn't come to feature, but to be there for us. He comes to make a gift of himself to us. 
and of course that is what he invites us to do to others that's our our very makeup as being as being human especially if we're baptized that's what helps us have true peace so it's wonderful when in family we seek to forget about ourselves we try to prioritize the needs of the others rather than thinking about my comfort we think well what can i do to make life more pleasant for the other members of my family rather than grabbing the best seat myself or insisting on my way our plans we try to do the opposite i remember hearing a story about saint Josemaria when he was in barcelona in 1938 and where he was with a few members of opus day and they were planning to escape from one side of the civil conflict in Spain at that time to the other by passing over the Pyrenees in the middle of winter, beginning of winter. And sometimes they would eat a meal, a main meal in a restaurant. And on this occasion, the choice was between eating in a restaurant that had very high hygiene standards, but the portions were small. And the other choice was in another restaurant where the hygiene standards were not great, they were poor, but the portions of food were very generous. And St. Josemaria's clear preference was for the hygienic, hygienic restaurant. But when he realized that the members of Opus Dei with him who were young, that their preference was for the restaurant which gave generous portions, he cheerfully opted for that choice. And he yielded in his own preference. What a great way of loving others. A spouse, a member of family propose another plan to watch something different to what we like or uh, to, to go out uh, to, on a different journey to what we uh, thought of. So many times in family life we get a chance to yield in our preference. And that's a lovely way of serving, a, lovely, a very good way of dying to ourselves. Not always easy, but we think of the Holy Family. We think of our Lord's example, the example of the saints, and we're helped to do so. Well, we come to conclude this meditation. The Let's give thanks for the ordinariness of the life of the Holy Family, which was, uh, but which 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 had a great brightness about it at the same time. And just as they experienced joys and sorrows, well, so will we. But we see God's providence at work in each situation. Well, let's ask the Holy Family to help us give thanks for all the graces that come to us through our families. Let's ask the Holy Family to help us see holiness awaiting for us in all our family relationships with parents and brothers and sisters and spouses and children and in-laws and extended family. And it will involve, so we didn't speak about this, loving others with their defects as God loves us comes even though we didn't deserve it. And But also we'll be learning and benefiting from the virtues, the self-giving of other family members. So Lord, we've much to give thanks for, for you becoming, coming among us, part of the family of Mary and Joseph. And to the three, we entrust our own intentions, our own needs, especially uh, for our families on this feast of the Holy Family. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you communicate to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.